We are in the midst of a short little series called Grace Goes Deep, and we're basically just a three-week series. We started it last week. We're going to wrap it up next week, and then we're going to head into Easter. But basically, the big idea of this series is that we need deep grace. We need a grace that goes deeper than just our salvation, that, that grace is, is more than just a way for us to be justified. Uh, it's also a way for us to be sanctified. In other words, grace doesn't just get us into Jesus, but deep grace helps get more of Jesus into us. And that's why grace must go deep. Now, one of the things I love about this year is the basketball, college basketball. I'm a huge sports fan, as many of you know, and I love this time of year because I love March Madness and the tournament games and the conference tournaments, which we just wrapped up, and the uh, NCAA tournament, which technically started on Thursday. I'm recording this on Friday, so technically it started last night, and, uh, and so we've got more games today and, and, and this weekend. And uh, every year I fill out a bracket and every year I'm reminded, God reminds me why he doesn't want me to go into gambling because every year my bracket after the first weekend uh, is just absolutely blown up. As I said, they've just only played, I think, the first four games, the play-in games uh, at the time of, of this recording. And uh, by the time you hear this on Sunday, they will have played, I think, at least uh, two rounds of games or three, three rounds of two rounds of games, Friday and Saturday. Uh, they'll, they'll have played, and uh, by then I'm sure my bracket will be completely busted just like it is every other year. Now, many of you may not know this about me, but when I went to college, I was actually on track to be a college basketball player. But a couple of things got in the way. Uh, first of all, I, I felt this call to go into ministry and, and uh, God calling me to pursue that, that avenue, and I'm so glad he did, ultimately. Uh, but then secondly, um, the, the second reason, number two, is that I didn't make the college basketball team or the basketball team where I went to college. But mostly number one was the reason why I, I didn't pursue that, uh, that goal of playing college basketball. But I still love to, to play uh, basketball. I still, in fact, play in a three-on-three -three league on, on Monday nights. Usually we didn't play this last year because of all the COVID stuff, but uh, I still enjoy playing basketball and play pickup basketball here and there where I can or play in the league uh, when we're playing that. And, and, and I, I love basketball and I love sports in general, but, but specifically basketball, I think, is, is a great metaphor for life for one specific purpose. In basketball, you get fouled. You cannot play the game and not get fouled. I've seen plenty of games where people in the stands uh, will scream at the refs for not calling fouls. I see players get frustrated. I may or may not have had a few times watching games where I may have gotten a little bit upset a time or two. Uh, can't confirm that for sure, but uh, I'm, I'm pretty sure that's actually the case where fouls did not get called and I got pretty upset. But if you're going to win in basketball, you have to learn to stay focused on the goal and not the foul. And the same thing is true in life. Because in life, you're going to get fouled. And sometimes the fouls are flagrant. And so the important thing is not to, to try to avoid getting fouled because you really can't do that. I mean, you're going to get fouled. The important thing is to not let the foul become your prison cell. So what's the right way to respond when someone does you 
wrong. Well, I heard a story about a guy named Dave. Dave is the one who told the story. He sent the story into Reader's Digest. He lives in Boulder, Colorado, or at least he did at the time. And he got pulled over a few years ago during the winter time for driving too fast. And he insisted that he was not driving too fast. But the police officer said that due to the inclement weather, that the speed he was going at was dangerous. And so he gave him a ticket. Well, Dave protested and the officer just said, well, if you don't like it, you can go to court and, and, and take up your case there. Well, a few months later, it was the start of softball season, spring, start of softball season, and Dave was an umpire in the softball league. And the first game, the first batter was that police officer who recognized him and said to Dave, well, how did that ticket thing work out? And Dave said to him, well, let me put it this way. You better swing at everything. And the reason we like stories like that is because while we may not admit it, we like vengeance. We like payback. Our, our favorite movies are often not about forgiveness. They're about the bad guys getting what they deserve. Even if you have to destroy a whole city in the process, you make sure the bad guys get payback, right? After all, doesn't the Bible say something about an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth? But Jesus, he would come along and say, I, I'm calling you to a higher standard. Because, you, you know, if you live eye for an eye, then pretty soon the whole world is going to go blind. And just because something feels good doesn't mean that it does good. And when we respond to our fouls with anger and bitterness and resentment and payback, what we reflect is that we only understand a shallow version of grace. Because grace is meant to go deeper than our wounds. You see, you're going to get fouled. As I said earlier, you're going to get fouled. It's not an if, it's a when. Even if you're a Christian, and sometimes especially if you are a Christian, you're going to get fouled. Jesus told us that people are going to foul us. And not just people who are not believers, but sometimes we're going to get fouled by, by other followers of Jesus. And that's why when he's teaching his disciples how to pray in this new kingdom that he's creating, he says, be sure to say something like this. And God, forgive my debts. Forgive me my debts as I also forgive my debtors. Because someone owes you big time. Somebody owes you an explanation. Somebody owes you an apology. Somebody owes you some respect. Somebody owes you the truth. Somebody owes you the faithfulness they pledged to you. Somebody owes you. The church will always be the fellowship of the fouled. And while we rarely get to choose our wounds, we always get to choose how we respond to being wounded. And we basically have two choices. The Hebrew writer mentions them in Hebrews chapter 12, verse 15. First choice, look after each other so that none of you fails to receive the grace of God. Second choice, watch out that no poisonous root of bitterness grows up to trouble you, corrupting many. So when you get fouled, you can choose to get bitter and it will poison you and it will hurt people around you, or you can choose to go deeper into grace. And what the Hebrew writer is saying is that grace is better than bitter. 
I don't know if people are still playing it much now, but several years ago there was a very popular game that came out called Angry Birds. I'm sure many of you remember that game, may even still be playing that game. In fact, it was so popular that they even made a movie, a couple of movies based off of the game. How, how many of you played that game? Just a show of hands. I, I, I did for a, for a little bit. And the basic premise of the game is that there are these birds who are very angry. And we don't know exactly quite why they are angry, but they are angry. And specifically, they are angry at some pigs who live in structures and who need to be punished. And so with the subtle movement of my finger, I can catapult these birds and launch them into the structures which ultimately collapse on top of the pigs and in the end this is considered if I get enough structures to fall on the pigs this is considered a victory. Now question do you remember what happens to the birds if you played the game if you didn't play the game you may not know this but do you remember what happens to the birds? They blow up and so the question next question in all seriousness why would I want to be an angry bird? If I'm destroying myself in order to win, did I really win? You see, you never hold on to a wrong and have life turn out right because your foul became your prison. Maybe you've heard the story of the two monks who were walking in the countryside and they came across the this distraught older woman <clears throat> who couldn't get across a river that, they, that she had come to. And so the first monk said, well, we'll, we'll carry you across. And so they, they kind of you know, picked her up and, and carried her across the river. And, and she was thankful and, and went on her, her merry way, happily on her merry way. But a mile down the, river, or a mile down the road after they'd crossed the river, uh, the second monk started to complain. And he said, man, my, my, my clothes are wet and my sandals are all muddy. This is awful. Another mile further down the road, he says, man, my back is starting to stiff up from carrying that old woman. Another mile down the road, the second monk is still complaining. And finally, the first monk turns and says to him, you know, why, do, you, do you know why I haven't been complaining? He said, because I put the woman down three miles ago and you're still carrying her. And so you have a choice when you get fouled and you will get fouled. Will you choose to keep the bitterness or will you choose to go deep, deeper with grace? And grace is better than bitter. One reason it's better than, than bitter is because grace erases the false labels. Grace erases false labels. This is, and this is important because bitter people are quick to justify how they feel and they're eager to recount how they got fouled to anyone who will listen. And the problem is that when we refuse to release and we continue to rehearse, we begin to resemble what we hate. We all know people who have let their wound become their identity. And long after the foul, they're still in a prison cell because their wound has become their label. And here's the thing. You cannot be free as long as you have a false identity. Some of you may recall the name J.C. Duggard. In 1991, as an 11-year-old girl, she was kidnapped by a, a sex offender. And for 18 years, she basically lived as his slave. And you can imagine just the unspeakable indignity that she 
experience. But then as a 29-year-old woman, she was rescued. But just because she was rescued doesn't mean that she was free. I mean, we can't begin to imagine all the horrible memories that she had to learn to fight through. And so seven years later, she published this book called Freedom. And, and I'll sum it up with one incredibly powerful line that she writes in the book. She writes, I am so much more than what happened to me. I am so much more than what happened to me. Because you see, when grace goes deep, we find our identity in what Jesus has done for us, not what somebody else did to us. Now listen to what Paul writes in Colossians chapter 3, verse 12. Here's your identity. He says, God has chosen you and he made you his holy people and he loves you. That's who you are. At your, your most core and basic level, you are loved, you are chosen, you are holy, you are a treasured son or daughter of Jesus Christ and of God. That's who you are. Now, when you know who you are, what do you do? Listen to what Paul says next. So you should always clothe yourselves with mercy, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Bear with each other and forgive each other. If someone does wrong to you, forgive that person because the Lord forgave you. You see, grace doesn't change your past. It doesn't change what was done to you. But grace keeps you, being, keeps you from being chained to your past because deep grace will not let that wound become your label. And even more amazing, deep grace will not even let you label the person who wounded you, the person who fouled you. You see, that's the powerful thing, one of the powerful things about grace. It just doesn't let you label people, whether that be yourself or it be that person who wronged or fouled you. It erases those false labels and instead it embraces true forgiveness. Grace embraces true forgiveness. In fact, I would contend that the clearest signal that you only understand shallow grace the clearest sign that you are actually resistant to deep grace is your insistence that you get paid back. Because if your experience with grace is not deep enough that you're willing to give it, then chances are you still don't get it. So in Matthew chapter 18, Peter came to Jesus and he said in verse 21, okay, this, this new kingdom thing that you keep talking about, it sounds great, but but people still do bad things to other people. So how many times do I have to forgive the guy that just keeps messing up? How about seven times? That seems like a good number. How about seven times, Peter says to Jesus. And Jesus replies to him, no, not seven times, but 77 times, or 70 times seven, in one translation says. And Peter's eyes got real big, and so Jesus said, let me tell you a story. There's a master and he's going to settle accounts because a lot of people owe him. And so he calls in this guy who owes him. And Jesus gives this absurd number, 10,000 bags of gold. And Jesus knew that he was being preposterous. It's like me saying, you owe me a gazillion dollars, right? It's a number so ridiculous that you could live another thousand years and you could never even think about paying it back. And so this guy comes before the master and here's what happens. Matthew chapter 18, starting in verse 26. At this, the servant fell on his knees before him. 
Be patient with me, he begged, and I will pay back everything. And the servant's master took pity on him, canceled the debt, and let him go. And so get the picture here. He didn't just forgive the debt. He forgave the arrogance of the servant to even think that he could pay it back. You see, the very first thing Jesus is teaching about life in the kingdom is that you can never forget how deep your need for grace is. If you're so irritated about what someone owes you, then maybe you haven't meditated enough on how much you truly owe God. I heard a story from a pastor who was teaching at a seminary and different students were sharing in in this one particular class, they were sharing different stories that that kind of changed their life or their outlook on life. And this one girl told about her experience in high school. Her high school was in a building downtown and it didn't have air conditioning. And so they had to open the windows up to to let the cool air come in and, 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 and kind of cool things off. But that also meant that because the windows were open, all the noise was also coming in. So cool air was coming in. Um, and kind of creating a breeze, but, but also the, um, the noise was coming in. And, and it particularly annoyed the teacher of this class, uh, especially when an ambulance or a fire truck would come by and the sirens would be blazing and just make all kinds of noise and completely disrupt the class. And, and he would always complain about it. But then she said he came in uh, one Monday morning and he apologized to the class. And he went on to explain that if an ambulance that weekend had not arrived quickly, that he would have lost his wife and his brand new baby. And so he apologized to his class with these words, I am so sorry that I got so annoyed by the noise that I wasn't thinking about the lives. And the principle I think is very profound. That what is so frustrating you about somebody else is perhaps revealing your lack of understanding about how much you need the very same thing they do. And if you forget your own debt, you will behave disgracefully. So look what happens, verse 28. But when that servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred silver coins. So the servant who owed 10,000 bags of gold has been forgiven that debt by the master. He goes out, he finds a fellow servant who owes him a hundred silver coins, and he grabbed him and began to choke him. Pay back what you owe me, he demanded. His fellow servant fell to his knees and begged him, be patient with me and I will pay it back. Sounds a lot like his own words to the master. But the man refused. Instead, he went off and had the man thrown into prison until he could pay the debt. Now, a hundred silver coins is a big deal, right? It was a couple months wages, and, and I'm not saying it's, it's insignificant, but compared to what had been forgiven? And please don't hear, you know, what Jesus is not saying. You know, he's, he's not saying that you need to be forgiven, or you need to forgive so that you will get forgiven, that that would be a works righteousness. And that's not what Jesus is saying. No, Jesus is saying you need to forgive because you've been forgiven. You you forgive, you offer grace and forgiveness out of the same grace and forgiveness that you have been given. That the God who expects no past from you does expect a certain kind of future. 
I mean, how can you receive, how can I receive grace as a gift and then think that we're entitled to it and to be a miser of the very thing we needed so much and received so generously? And so word of the servant's disgrace got back to the master, by the way, it always does. Verse 32, then the master called the servant in. You wicked servant, he said. I canceled all that debt of yours because you begged me to. Shouldn't you have had mercy on your fellow servant just as I had on you? You see, one of the stunning things about this story is that the master wasn't mad that his servant got into debt. He was mad that the servant didn't treat the debt of others like his debt had been treated. And I think one of the things that this parable emphasizes is the dynamic importance of remembering. That's part of why each and every week we take a few moments, take a little bread, a little grape juice. And it's not specifically about the bread and the juice, but it's about the importance of remembering. Jesus said, you do this to remember me. How often should we do it? He, he didn't really say. We take it every week because that's kind of the uh, example, a couple of examples that we see in the New Testament. But the, the early Christians, we also see that they shared in it just about every day because they, they saw the imperative nature of it. They, they knew that it was the foundation of our faith. The most important thing is to not forget how much grace we needed and how much grace we received. And that God expects a change of heart from the people that received a completely undeserved change of status. Because nothing that's happened to you should go deeper than what Jesus did for you. Now, I'm not saying forgiveness is easy. Jesus didn't say that it was easy. And by the way, forgiveness is not excusing and saying, well, yeah, you did it, but it really wasn't that big of a deal. No, it was a big deal. You got fouled and it was flagrant. Forgiveness is not pretending that it didn't hurt because it did hurt. Forgiveness is not forgetting. I don't know who came up with the, the idea of forgive and forget, but that's not really in the Bible. I mean, it, you couldn't do it even if you tried. Forgiveness is not even reconciling because that's a two-way street. The person you, you need to forgive may not think they need forgiveness. They may not want it. They may not even be alive. It's not pretending or excusing or forgetting. It's canceling. Forgiveness is canceling my desire to pay back. It's canceling my need to get paid back. It's that grace says, I'm going to treat people like I got treated by God. You see, we don't forgive because it wasn't that bad. We forgive because God's grace is that good. And listen, here's the deal. There's no magic grace button where you push it and everything just goes away, right? And everything is just roses and beautiful and everything fi everything's fixed. No, when you've been fouled, especially if it was a flagrant foul, you don't just forgive once in a moment. You start the journey and you make that decision over and over and over because the enemy will show up when you're not prepared and he'll whisper, that wasn't fair. 
You deserve better. Are they ever going to make it right? You need to push back. You need to pay back. It would feel good if you made them feel bad. But that's when the Holy Spirit whispers, grace goes deeper than fair. Grace is totally unfair. And we would be totally helpless if it wasn't. And so the fellowship of the fouled must always be the fellowship of the forgivers. As Paul put it in Ephesians chapter 4, verses 31 and 32, get rid of all bitterness, rage, anger, harsh words, slander, as well as all types of evil behavior, and instead be kind to each other, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, just as God, through Christ, has forgiven you. Because when I remember my story, when I remember who I am, when I remember what he has done, grace will go deeper than my wound. One of the most powerful illustrations of that was just a few years ago in a courtroom. I'm sure many of you have heard the name Larry Nasser, and if you, Dr. Larry Nasser, and if you know his story, then you know some of the horrific and unspeakable and just downright evil and terrible things that he did. Over many years, he violated many precious girls who trusted him. And after years of abuse, one brave young woman named Rachel Den Hollander filed a complaint. And Nasser had his day in court, and all the girls that he violated uh, had their moment to speak to him. And Rachel was the last. <clears throat> and she noticed that he had a Bible on the table in front of him in, in court while he was there in court. And so she brought hers. And she said, if you read the Bible you carry, then you know the definition of sacrificial love portrayed as of God himself loving so sacrificially that he gave up everything to pay a penalty for the sin he did not commit. And by his grace, I too choose to love this way. Now, she also reminded <clears throat> Dr. Nasser of what the Bible says will happen to those who violate children. That the final judgment will be a place where God's wrath and eternal terror is poured out on men like you, she said. But then she said this. Should you ever reach the point of truly facing what you've done, the guilt will be crushing. And that's what makes the gospel of Christ so sweet. Because it extends grace and hope and mercy where none should be found. And it will be there for you. I pray you experience a soul-crushing weight of guilt so that you may someday experience true repentance and true forgiveness, which you need from God far more than you need from me, though I extend it to you as well. Now, I'm not saying that if you extend grace to those who have hurt you, that that person that hurt you, that it will bring that person who hurt you into the kingdom. But I am saying this, it will bring more of the kingdom into you. The question is, are you willing to go that deep? 